Insurance products are issued by unaffiliated third-party insurance companies and made available through an insurance agency subsidiary of UBS Financial Services, Inc. Guarantees are based on the claims-paying ability of the issuing insurance company. Guarantees do not apply to the investment performance or safety of amounts held in the variable accounts. Variable contracts and underlying investment options are not FDIC insured and have fluctuating returns so that proceeds when redeemed may be worth more or less than their original value. Past performance is no guarantee of future results. This report is provided for informational and educational purposes only. It should be used solely for the purposes of discussion with your UBS financial advisor and your independent consideration. UBS Financial Services, Inc., its affiliates, and its employees do not provide tax or legal advice. You should consult with your personal tax and or legal advisors regarding your particular situation. Hi everyone, Dan Cassidy here. Welcome back to the Planning Podcast Series here on the UBS Conversations Podcast Channel. For today, we are joined by Jennifer Ladd, Premity Scandura, and Hunter Peake, who wrote a new planning guide titled Life Insurance. The authors are members of the Advanced Planning Group here at UBS, which helps ultra-high net worth families and individuals with estate planning, tax planning, family office structuring, and other planning issues and strategies. Jennifer is a senior wealth strategist based in Dallas. Premity is a wealth strategist based in Los Angeles. And Hunter is an associate wealth strategist based in San Francisco. So with that, Hunter, Premity, Jennifer, thank you all for spending some time with our listeners, our clients here on UBS Conversations. Looking forward to diving into the guide and learning more about that. Maybe a good starting point, Hunter, can you provide our listeners with an overview of what's in the guide. Sure, Dan. This guide summarizes key aspects of life insurance and discusses how to incorporate it into your overall plan. The guide begins with a high-level overview of the various uses of life insurance. Later, my colleague Primini will touch on some of the most common uses. Next, the guide explores each type of life insurance, explaining how each works and highlighting their different features. The guide goes into more depth for a discussion of planning with life insurance. This section covers a wide range of topics, including estate planning, wealth transfer strategies, tax issues and considerations, and appropriate structures to hold life insurance. The guide then focuses on the unique aspects of life insurance as it relates to business owners and the fulfillment of charitable goals. My colleague Jennifer will highlight how we generally see clients incorporating life insurance into their overall plans and various issues for them to consider. Finally, this guide concludes with a look at the life cycle of the policy and the importance of periodic reviews. Ongoing care and attention is essential to maximize the probability that current and future goals will be achieved. Changes in goals, policy performance, tax laws, and insurance offerings are factors to consider when reviewing a life insurance portfolio to ensure the long-term effectiveness Ultimately, the goal of this guide is to help better understand this well-known but misunderstood planning tool. Well, Hunter, thank you for that overview. So maybe now we can dive a bit deeper into what the guide contains. I know you pointed out Premity will be walking us through some of the more common uses of life insurance. So Premity, what can you share with us there? One of the 
most common reasons many people have life insurance, especially those who have loved ones depending on them financially, is to use life insurance as a means of providing funds to replace lost income of a decedent. So in essence, having life insurance for income replacement means enabling a decedent's family to maintain their accustomed lifestyle and also providing them a backup plan for unforeseen circumstances. In our line of work, we see life insurance typically used as a means to help pay estate and other death taxes at a decedent's death and to provide an alternate source of inheritance for family members. In terms of estate liquidity for large estates that have significant amount of illiquid assets, such as interest in closely held entities or real estate, paying the estate tax within nine months after the decedent's death could result in a forced sale of assets at potentially unfavorable prices. So in this instance, a life insurance policy can provide liquidity at death that could be used either to pay the estate tax or to purchase illiquid assets from the estate and thereby avoid a forced sale or the burden of a loan. In addition to providing estate liquidity, life insurance can also be used as a wealth replacement tool in order to ensure the family's financial legacy isn't diminished by testamentary charitable gifts or estate taxes. In other words, Life insurance can provide a means to provide assets, to, sorry, to replace assets from an individual's estate that have been used for other purposes. We also come across families where adult children are often involved in a family business, but sometimes not all family members participate equally. In addition to providing liquidity for the family members to pay estate taxes without having to sell the business, life insurance can be used to equalize inheritance. The guide details how life insurance can provide an alternate source of inheritance for those not involved in the business, thereby allowing a smooth transition of the family business to active family members without financially disadvantaging non-active family members. Finally, life insurance can also be used to provide inheritance for blended families. Most foundational estate plans, which in terms of wealth transfers, generally comprise wills and revocable trusts, frequently leave the majority of the estate to the surviving spouse, and the children don't receive an inheritance until both parents have passed away. Blended families have estate planning needs and considerations that don't always fit into the structure. The guide discusses in more depth how life insurance can be a useful tool in creating an estate plan that addresses the more complex needs of blended families. Well, Premini, thank you for hitting on those common uses. A lot of considerations there. Jennifer, to welcome you into the conversation, from what you've been picking up on, how do you see clients incorporate life insurance into their overall plan? Yeah, of course, Dan. Um, So the big three that we kind of hit on in the guide are irrevocable life insurance trusts, buy-sell agreements, and charitable giving. You know, to start is an irrevocable life insurance trust, or you'll hear me refer to it as an islet. So, you know, we have a lot of clients that have life insurance, um, but one of the things that they don't realize is that if you own that policy when you pass away, the proceeds are includable in your estate for estate tax purposes. Um, And with the ultra-high net worth clients that we are normally dealing with, they already have a federal estate tax problem, and so it's generally preferable to structure that life insurance policy so that the death benefit is not part of their estate. And kind of the main way that we accomplish that is through an irrevocable life insurance trust. So typically an islet is created by the owner and the insured on the policy, the family members are the beneficiaries, and then to really ensure that the proceeds are not 
included in the insured's estate, um, the insured can't retain incidents of ownership or any beneficial interest in the trust. And so when we're talking about these different kinds of trusts, we're thinking through who can be the trustee, who are the beneficiaries, and how that's all going to work together. You know, and we walk through a lot of that in the guide. Um, one of the other big considerations that we talk about when we talk about islets is ownership of the policy. How are we going to get the policy into the islet? Um, there's a lot of different ways. Um, we talk about several of them in the guide, but just to highlight a couple, um, the most simplest and cleanest way to do it is for the islet to own the policy from the very beginning. So basically, you'll have the grantor create the trust, gift a certain amount of cash into the islet using a little bit of lifetime exemption, and then the trustee of the islet will then use those funds to purchase the policy, usually on the life of the grantor. However, a lot of the times what happens is, is we have a client that already has an existing policy that they've held, and they just want to go ahead and transfer that particular policy into the islet as opposed to purchasing a new one. And so then we might have to use a little bit more of a lifetime exemption to get it in. And so what we'll do is we have to figure out the fair market value of the policy, and then we will transfer that in based on um, that particular value um, as of the date of the transfer. One of the things just to note, um, if you are going to transfer an existing policy to an islet, it triggers something called the three-year look-back rule, and so the grantor generally will have to survive the transfer of the policy by three years to make sure that we really are still including keeping those proceeds outside the grantor's estate. Um, there's a lot of other considerations, um, you know, whether you live in a community property state, you know, what kind of policy we're transferring in, and again, we go into detail on a lot of those in the guide. Um, one of the other big things that I'll touch on with islets is premium payments. Um, obviously, to keep a policy intact, you have to make premium payments, um, whether it's monthly or yearly, but you know we have to pay those, otherwise the policy lapses. And so there's usually two big ways that we see that kind of being accomplished when it c comes to islets. Either the grantor will put in kind of like a lump sum into the islet to help maintain that policy throughout the life of the policy until the insured dies. Alternatively, um, if we don't want to use any lifetime exemption because a large lump sum will require that, um, clients will use their annual exclusion and they'll make contributions each year. The trust needs to be set up in a particular way and there's certain procedures that need to be followed. But again, we, we outline a lot of that in the guide. One of the other things that we talk about a lot when it comes to life insurance are buy-sell agreements. We deal with a lot of business owners. And so, you know, one of the most important things and sometimes often overlooked is issues for a business in planning when one of the owners either dies or becomes disabled or retires. And so, you know, in, you know, so we can have an orderly transition of the business, you know, not have a fire sale or honestly even pass it down to maybe family members that don't want to run it or not capable of running it. We have these buy-sell agreements. So basically a buy-sell agreement is just an agreement between the owners of the business based, and they are required to in some future event upon a triggering event, again, usually death or disability, sell their interest. Um, the purchasers can be key employees in the business, co-owners, the business itself, or sometimes even a third party. So what we kind of focus on in the guide is how are we going to fund that um, that buyback upon the triggering event? You know, there's a lot of different ways to do it. Sometimes the business has enough liquid assets to do it. Sometimes Co-owners have personal assets or savings plans, you know, installment payments, those kinds of things. But um, frequently used option is life insurance. Um, it's often really cost-efficient way to kind of fund a buy-sell agreement and then 
when you have that triggering event, it provides the liquidity needed to fulfill the obligations under the agreement. There's all different kinds of ways to structure it, again, based on who the purchaser is. Um, and again, we go into detail on how to structure those and some options within the guide. Um, the last thing that I'll touch on is charitable giving. Um, a lot of people don't always think about life insurance when it comes to charitable giving, but it can be a really great tool. Um, I'd say the two most common ways that you'll see it accomplished is either during life taking a policy and donating the policy itself to charity. The other most common way we see is um, designating the charity as a beneficiary of the policy. There's lots of different ways to structure it. You know, one will get you a charitable income tax deduction versus a charitable estate tax deduction, you know, whether one is changeable versus not changeable, premium payments, all the different things that go into that, um, which, again, we talk about in the guide. Well, Jennifer, thank you for sharing those highlights. A lot of great guidance there. We, of course, do encourage our listeners, especially our clients of UBS, get a copy of the guide, read further into these points surrounding life insurance, and learn more about what Hunter Premity and Jennifer shared with us on today's podcast. If you would like to learn more, please be sure to reach out to your UBS financial advisor to continue the conversation. Though, Hunter Premity, Jennifer, thank you again for spending some time with us here on UBS conversations. Appreciate it. As a firm providing wealth management services to clients, UBS Financial Services, Inc. offers investment advisory services in its capacity as an SEC-registered investment advisor and brokerage services in its capacity as an SEC-registered broker-dealer. Investment advisory services and brokerage services are separate and distinct, differ in material ways, and are governed by different laws and separate arrangements. It is important that you understand the ways in which we conduct business and that you carefully read the agreement and disclosures that we provide to you about the products or services we offer. For more information, please review Client Relationship Summary provided at UBS.com forward slash Relationship Summary or ask your UBS Financial Advisor for a copy.